Good morning, everyone. Today it's just me. Welcome to Scrubs and Soy Sauce. Mostly scrubs and less soy sauce today. I'm your host. Mickey is visiting her parents, and I am actually post call right now. So I have till a little bit until this afternoon to go back to work. And so I thought I would film this new episode of our podcast just by myself. The topic for today is questions that you've always wanted to ask me, questions you've always wanted to ask a doctor. And so we've compiled a set of questions that I am very passionate to speak to you about and uncover the mysteries of working in healthcare. All right, let's get started. The first thing is what is post call? This has not always been the case, but post call means I'm after being on call. So I was on call at the trauma hospital last night. So I worked during the day yesterday from, you know, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And then I was on call from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. Being on call for us doesn't mean that we have to be in the hospital. We are what's called home call, meaning that we can be at home until someone calls you in. And fortunately, I didn't have much business last night. There are situations in which you can deal with the thing, given that we have computers and electronic medical records that we can deal with at home without having to come in, while there's other situations that require you to go in. So fortunately, I did not need to go in last night. But it's always harder to sleep and to do other things while you're on call. Sometimes you're there at the hospital the entire night, while other times, no one got injured, I guess, or no one had an emergency that I was needed. So that's great news. All right. What really pushes you through a hard day at work, especially when you're underpaid? Thank you for acknowledging that I am underpaid. As residents, if you count the number of hours that we work and divide it by our salary, the dollars per hour is like minimum wage. But I think there's quite a few things that pushes us to go through a hard day. I mean, residency ultimately is still, you know, a learning process. Is it an apprenticeship? I'm not, you know, fully, I don't have the full complement of skills if you just put me out there in the world to be the surgeon that I want to be. And I'm still learning from my attendings day to day. So it's quite a privilege to be able to do some of the procedures or things. And it's always really nice to be able to learn a new skill or, you know, practice something and become more confident in it. So that really helps Like a day where I get to learn a lot really helps me. And recently, I don't know if the hospital is doing this, but it really works for me given that I like positive reinforcement. I responded to an emergency a couple days ago. The nurses on the floor were, I guess they were very pleasantly surprised by the way that I was nice to them. And they sent an email to one of our directors and my program director saying that, hey, Kevin did a really good job. And I'm like, great, I'm getting some brownie points. So I don't know how this is going to affect my future career, but it's always nice to hear that you're doing a good job because who would want to be doing a job that they're not good at? That's always tough. Yeah, there's that. And then there's other things. Um, patients will often, you know, thank you. Like you can create a pretty good relationship with them. You know, you know, they're in the hospital, they're in a tough situation or they're recovering from surgery, but you have to be human with them. You know, there's certain times to be funny with them, but there's also certain times to be serious with them, but you have to kind of judge the picture. One of our patients who is an apple farmer brought in lots of fresh apples, apples that you probably like, like the apples in the store probably have been sitting in storage for a while, but these were like fresh apples with like dirt on them and they were so good. And he brought them for everyone in the clinic to thank us after he got his surgery. So that was really nice. I think that was a long tangent to that answer, but I hope that was helpful. I think those statements are true in any job. 
where if there's people that you like to be around and that there's you know ways in which they reward you for doing good things, then it's easier to work longer hours. Next question, follow-up. Why are your shifts so long? I, I wouldn't call them shifts. I think shift work is when you work from like, you, you, you're, you have a set time, like you go there at six and someone signs you out and there's someone at six at PM or whatever time it needs. At least for surgeons, you know, we have during the day, if we have clinic or we have surgeries, we're only done when we're done. And if the surgery takes longer than the time that we thought it would and goes beyond, we have to stay there. Shifts are long because I think there's just where the word is short-staffed or there's lots to learn. There's, you know, only a limited number of us at the hospital and that, you know, if we had shorter shifts, we'd have to sign out to each other about the patients. And that would also take a long time, like telling them about every single detail with the patients. And I guess from a patient's perspective, do you want your doctors to change every six hours and come back? Like that doesn't really make much sense, right? It's often things are very complicated and that, you know, if there's an emergency in the middle of the night, who know you, who knows you during the day to take care of those emergencies. So unfortunately, the nature of medicine makes it so that, you know, shifts are long. Thank you to all the viewers. Um, this is a ad in the middle of this saying that um, it's really nice to have everyone support. The last couple of weeks, people have been, you know, at the hospital that I don't know, have been like, hey, congratulations on your engagement. Oh, that's nice. So thank you to those folks who are saying hello to me. Um, the next question, why do doctors round so early? I don't know if that's the case for every service. I think the ICU and surgeons round earlier because we have to get somewhere during the beginning of the day. So our surgeries start at 7.30 in the morning, which means that, you know, we have to speak to the patient, prep the OR probably by 7, which means that we need to be finished rounding by that time. So some inpatient hospital service, the, these are the medicine doctors, they can afford to round later and they may round during the entire day because they're only taking care of inpatient people who are in the hospital. But unfortunately, with surgery, we also couple the patients that we see in the hospital that we round on with clinic or the operating room, right? So we can be operating the entire day while having patients who are who had surgery the day before, the two days before. So we have to get all our work done before those things start. And that unfortunately means that we have to round in the hospital super early, anywhere between, you know, sometimes 5 a.m., 6 a.m. I'm sorry for waking you. That means we've woken up even earlier than you and probably you've got poked by a lab draw before that. So that's unfortunately how things are in the hospital. The next question is, what is the smallest thing that makes your day at work better? I'll give you a couple examples in the operating room and how things run. So in the operating room, there's usually the anesthesia team, which sometimes composes of usually a resident and an attending. An attending might be supervising multiple rooms, depending on how complex the surgery is. Then there's the circulating nurse who is not scrubbed into the case, but is kind of watching the OR and making sure everything's okay, grabbing things that we don't have for surgery and making sure everything's fine. There's also the scrub tech or the surgical technologist. There can be a nurse or they can be a surgical technologist, that's their position, who helps, you know, set up all the instruments for the case, as well as hand off and potentially do some assisting. And then finally, there's a surgery team, which composes of, you know, an intending surgeon and an array of residents. So there's at least five people in the OR. And, you know, three or four of those people might be scrubbed into the case. Oftentimes, you know, you may or may not know the 
nursing and the scrub team. There's often some very specialized surgeries in which the equipment needs to be set up in a specific way. It's often nice when the nursing and the scrub team knows exactly how those things work. So our turnover time to set up the case is faster. The nicest thing is that, you know, if the surgery team or if the, if the nursing team knows your glove size, so you don't have to grab them and they already have them set up. So you can just walk in and they're like, oh yeah, we already got your gloves. It's a statement of, oh, I know exactly how big your hands are and we are happy to have you in the room and help out with the case. So it's that's very cute and it's very nice. Sorry, that was a long-winded answer. Lots of small things to show that people around you care about you. Next question, how can patients best show their thanks when they have a great experience with the medical team? I think with any service or career like feedback is actually quite important and the hospital takes these the feedback pretty seriously so if if someone really does a good job you can email their boss you can send like a there's probably an online form where you can say they did a good job and i'm sure that that goes a long ways in helping them with their careers also don't be afraid to say thank you to the actual person but try to go above if you want to go above and beyond thank the person that you know is probably in charge of their their lives and that goes a long ways you know it's like when you get a telephone you're on customer service support and then they're like please fill out a survey at the end it'll really help me i think it might be the same it's probably the same in healthcare so do that if you really have someone who did a good job all right here's some lifestyle questions how do you keep in shape how do you practice self-care so i think with the hours that i work it's sometimes often hard um i do quite a bit of walking actually at work um running around the hospital and you know we're most of surgery we're standing up and in clinic we're moving around so in reality don't have that much to do to keep in shape if you're just busy all the time um the best thing is to try to give yourself time to you know eat a balanced meal and make sure that you drink water throughout the day and you know on your days off you should try to you know do your normal things because it's hard to do that when it's five in the morning and then know that know what times you're busy and what times you're not and try to do some of the things that you need to do like you know go to the dentist um you know go to your doctors do family things when you're less busy so open communication with your family and the people around you to tell them that when you're busy or when you're not busy. Do doctors or nurses have better work-life balance? Mickey's not here to answer this question from the nursing perspective, but I would say that it really depends what kind of doctor and what kind of nurse you are. There's certainly nurses who work a lot. You know, I think being a doctor also, there's a wide spectrum. There's some people who work part-time or have shift work that sort of only adds up to a couple hours or a couple shifts a, a week or month. And so it's often a choose-your-own-adventure about what person has more work-life balance. So for example, if you're an outpatient nurse who only works three days a week, you have a lot of other time to balance being at home. You could be a neurosurgeon who works like 100 hours a week doing everything, or you can be an outpatient family medicine doctor who only works a couple times a week or you can be an emergency medicine doctor who works you know three eight hour shifts a week and so there's a balance of how much work you can or cannot do for both of these professions so that's that wow these are quite deep questions what sacrifices did you have to make for this career i think the biggest sacrifice in general is just time right it just takes such a long time to train right so all of my other friends and you know colleagues who didn't go in the medical field they're probably done with the beginning of their career they're starting in you know the middle sections of your career while you know it seems like every ever since the beginning you're like oh i i'm the most senior 
undergrad, I'm the most senior medical student. And now I'm like getting to the point where I'm done being the most junior resident. There's still, you know, a time where I'm going to be the most junior attending. And, you know, it seems like a never ending um, series of steps that you need to climb in medicine. And it's often very frustrating. And so time, right? I haven't gotten to a point where I am, you know, like when you learn something, you often get good at it. And it takes not as long as medicine, I hope. Maybe that's not the case. But at this point, I still have lots to learn about my career and lots to get better at. So that is a sacrifice that you have to be willing to make if you want to be in medicine, to know that there's always a room for improvement and always ways in which you can get better at your job. Next question, what are the biggest challenges of working in the medical field? I think there's a lot of different ways to answer this question. Um, I think it's different for everyone. And if this question is coming from someone who is interested in going into medicine, the best way for you to find out is to, you know, shadow in the hospital, in the clinic, or see what it's like. Because I think there's often a lot of false pretenses or false portrayals of how medicine is like due to social media and from TV shows, but it's very much not like that in real life. And that for me, I think the biggest challenges or the biggest frustration in medical field is that there's often the the uncertainty of diagnoses and how people are going to turn out is much, much higher than what it's like, we think. Like we as doctors and nurses and other healthcare professionals often don't really know exactly what's going on. You know, we have our ideas, we have our hypothesis, and we have our diagnoses, but it's not often clear cut like, you know, oh, this patient has this, we're going to give them A and B and they're going to get better or they're not going to get better, right? There's a lot of uncertainty and we often do have great senses of what things can help patients, but the fact is that there is still quite a lot of unknowns in medicine and that we're working towards finding out more. But there is a reason why medicine is so difficult. That's one aspect that makes what is a biggest challenge in medicine. The other aspect is that non not all of it is not all of medicine is about, you know, being smart and learning what diseases and things people have. But there's a lot of personal things and social and financial other obstacles that you have to jump through. You know, we have great social workers and other ancillary support to help us through that. But it's often very difficult to jump through the hoops of, you know, someone doesn't want to come in for their appointment. Someone has this thing. There's there's a lot of situations in which the actual medicine part can be very simple, but the actual taking care of the patients, whether it's, you know, their insurance, whether the patient's family or other aspects that makes their care more difficult than it needs to be. This is turning into like a interview. Um, but I guess maybe some of these questions, the, the questions answers would be good for people to use in their interviews. Any go-to snacks, drinks, and foods to get through a long shift? I can talk about snacks and drinks. Um, I think any small snacks that like, you know, you can just peel open and eat is is very is very nice. In terms of drinks, um, when you get sleepy, you know, a lot of people drink coffee, but I think there's just way too much caffeine in coffee for me to enjoy it. I unfortunately have been drinking Coke Zero for a while now. It has like, you know, decent amount of caffeine, but not it's like maybe one fourth of a cup of coffee. So it'll like stimulate my mind throughout the day. The main issue is that, you know, you can't eat or drink in the operating room, right? It's a sterile location, so you have to be able to stuff things down quickly between cases. 
And so anything that you like to eat that you can hide in your pocket and quickly eat when you step out for a few seconds is probably good because when you're hungry, everything tastes pretty good as long as it's portable. How do you build confidence to interact and handle patients? I think that confidence comes from your knowledge and how confident in you you are in you know what they have versus you know the interpersonal uh, aspect of it. I think I haven't really improved my interpersonal connection with other people. I think I treat everybody you know I'm confident in being able to talk to someone, but as your medical knowledge and your understanding of what's going on with them improves, then this interaction improves. So for example, like. Be confident in your understanding of their disease process and how you are and you are not able to help the patient. I think the issue arises when someone, a medical professional, talks to a family and they, the, the, the person treating the family doesn't actually completely know what's going on. And so there's confusion not only because you're not sure exactly what you're saying or you don't want to tell them the wrong thing. And so... That gets confusing, at least during residency. Now that I have know a little bit more about what's going on, I'm more confident in being able to communicate with them and be able to answer more of your questions. So I think a lot of the confidence comes from how much you understand. So if there are more stressful situations, the solution often is to just be really prepared to know what questions that they're going to ask and what is going on with their situation. You know, when you see someone in clinic for the new patient for the first time, when there's a lot of information in the chart already, it's a lot easier versus if there's no information, you walk in and you have no idea what's going on. That can be a little more difficult. So I would encourage being prepared, especially if you think it's going to be a difficult conversation. We're going to wrap things up here because this is going to be a shorter episode. The last question is, are there beds in the hospitals for doctors and nurses to sleep in? Yes. I'm not sure if nurses have call rooms, but since they're usually like day shift or night shift in the hospital, so they can go home. But if doctors are on call, we have surprisingly named call rooms in each of the hospitals. They're little rooms usually without a window that has a bed and a computer. Um, There's people who come and clean it usually every day or every night, and it's a very sparse room. It just has a couple blankets that have the same pillows and the same uh same sheets as probably the hospital ones but you know the hospital beds are able to you know go up and left and right and things like that but this is it looks like just like a college dorm room where you can sleep perhaps some hospitals are more fancy than others so out of the hospitals that i rotate at one of the call rooms is okay one of the other call rooms is less nice and then the other one is you know more convenient or further away from the actual rooms in the hospital but it's nice because if you are anticipating that someone is going to show up in two hours or you get called in at three in the morning and you're done with your stuff at four, but you have to be at the hospital at six, it makes more sense for you to sleep for two hours at the hospital rather than going commuting home, uh, taking, you know, maybe 15, 30 minutes to get settled and then go to bed and then having to drive back to the hospital in half an hour. So it's nice that the call rooms exist. And I think that every resident that I've talked to has utilized a call room at some point in their career. Okie dokie. That was a random smattering of questions that I answered. Hopefully it was informative. And thanks for listening to another episode of Scrubs and Soy Sauce. Mickey will hopefully be back next week. And I hope she enjoys a little break away from the amazing 
um, Seattle. We're getting it's getting a little bit cold in here. That's why I've got my jackets on, um, even inside the house. So please stay tuned for our fall and winter adventures. See you next week.